This is MTT, and this is Ezra Beck, this week's Shur on Parshat HaShavua, Parshat Vayeshev. The Parsha begins with the statement, Vayeshev Ya'akov Be'aretz Megurei Aviv Be'aretz Kenan, and then begins immediately to tell the story of Yosef. Chazal comment, Rashi quotes, very poignant, uh, very poignant comment, Vikesh Ya'akov Lashevet Bishalva, Kafatz Alav Arugzosha Yosef. Vayeshev Yaakov, Yaakov settled in the land of his fathers. In other words, the feeling that in the last two parashiyot, Yaakov is in Gullus, Yaakov is wandering, Yaakov is, is confronting challenges, fighting with Esav, confronting Esav, uh, conflict with Esav, afterwards in Shechem, Dina, he's not at home. Finally he comes home to the land of his father's dwellings, and Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megurei Aviv, he wished to settle on the land where his parents, where his father's forefathers had lived. Chazal got the feeling that Yaakov was settling down. He was finally saying, to use the words from Sefer Dvarim, Pati el amnucha ve'el anachala. I finally, finally reached peace and quiet. Ele todot Yaakov Yosmiyat Kukzoshev, he will have the next many years will be extremely troubled because of the story of Yosef. And the question, among others, is what really is the significance of the story of Yosef? Many people are concerned, troubled, conflicted even, by the nature of the family in Sefer Bishit. There are no happy, successful families in Sefer Bishit. In fact, they're either or, or very close to it. Uh, first family, which is also the family of all humankind, it's not just a story, but a significant example and prototype for mankind, Sakai kills Hevel. Oh, family, not quite that bad, one of, the cho- one of the children is really bad in Noah curses one of his own children. Avram has two children who don't get along. One is sent away, banished from the house of Avram. Yitzhak has two children. One attempts to kill the other, and historically, they don't really talk to each other. Uh, they're, the, they're the prime example of strife in the world. Tavon Yaakov, Halacha Esav Soneit Yaakov, Pasuk explicitly says that Esav hates Yaakov. Uh, and then we get to the next story, Yaakov. And again, one of the children is almost murdered. It says explicitly in the Pasuk that they decided, that the brothers decided to kill Yosef. It's a little depressing to view the family. We have this ideal of brotherly love, families, parents, children... And Beshit does not present that picture at all. And very often, since now we're dealing with the Jews and not just with people, we're dealing with the Bnei Yaakov, the strife between the children of Yaakov, the brothers of Yosef and Yosef, is a very significant uh, story, and one that I think causes us a great deal of pain when we reflect on it. But I think to some extent that's really missing the point. In general, when we read Bereshit, we're constantly torn uh, between the two poles. 
are reading as stories about individuals, important individuals, but most important because they're examples for us. How parents get along with children, how tzaddik can act, how others get along with their brothers. And viewing it as the story of Amisa, either as prototypes, as the famous statement which Ramban uses a number of times, Chazal uh, state, the actions of the fathers are a example, a prototype, a sign for the children. Or as the beginnings, and we're getting close to the end of the book, the actual beginning of Amisar, which true, there were 12 individuals here and their father, but the story is not so much about this son, that son, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, as it is about the formation of the beginning of Amisar, the Jewish people, Jewish family at this point, uh, they're not avot anymore, they're banim. Uh, and we always, we have a certain uh, tension. Well, it's a healthy tension. We reflect on both sides of the equation. The relationship between Yosef and Binyamin and what does it say about Amisa? Um, in our story, that which begins in Vayeshev and which will uh, conclude in Vayigash and to some extent only in Vayichit, the end of the Sefer, um, you have, I think, a necessity to view both of those poles at the same time, and there's a very different point being made. Um, specifically, if we're looking at stories in Bresh, and his brothers, and bear with me, because it's going to sound a little bit uh, provocative, I'm going to say now, is not that depressing a story, not that severe. A, 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 a narrative. It's true. I don't mean to minimize this in any way. The brothers did plan to kill Yosef. And they did throw him into the pit and sell him into slavery. It's pretty bad things. No question about it. But if we're talking about the family, then Yaakov's family, even at this point, is the most successful family in, in, in Breshit. Till now, it's been 50%. 50% of the children try to kill the other 50%. That's because basically they only had two children. Uh, Adam Rishon, Cain killed Hevel. Uh, Avam Avinu, Yitzchak and Ishmael will be torn apart. Yitzchak, of course, Esav, the twins, Esav and Yaakov, one tries to kill the other. Yaakov has 12 children and 11 get along very well. One doesn't. Right, it's a little, you know, a little extreme. Actually, one of them they try to kill. But if you're just talking percentages, Yaakov is batting 92%. It's pretty good. Even those who have an ideal of brotherly love and family being together, we know that you strike out sometimes. So one of Yaakov's children isn't going to get along. He won't even be part of the family. In the end, that's forgetting about the intentions of the brothers he's going to wind up living in Egypt rather than in Eretz Israel with the family. It's not a good thing. But as a story about families, how many families are more successful than that? Even in the idyllic vision we have in our heads. I don't think that's the point of the story. At this point, I don't think the Torah is, is telling us or at least it's not the main point of the story. The Torah is not telling us about 
the failure of Yaakov to raise his children in a manner which would produce a better result. Or in the failure of Yosef to behave in a manner which would prevent his brothers from hating him. Obviously, in the beginning of the parasha, the Torah does take some pain to say that Yosef is being a bit he's being childish or silly or not mature. He spreads slander about his brothers and he tells them rather innocently but, but inanely dreams which indicate that they should bow down to him when he's only a kid of 17. But I don't think that's the point of the, of the greater narrative. If we look at Vayeshev, Miketz, Vayigash, the story is mostly concerned Literally, the point of the narrative on the whole is not about the personal relationships between 12 individuals, but about the creation of Amisal as a unit in which they are all committed to each other and bound together and no longer individuals. Because when they're individuals, then some will be closer and some will be less close and some may very well be thrown out. Yaakov and Esav were individuals. And Yaakov said, Sadak and Esav is not they don't, they, don't, they don't live together. Yitzhak and Yishmael were individuals. Yitzhak said, Sadak, Yishmael less, and therefore they don't get along so well together. But we don't care about the individuals. Not really. Not in the end. We don't care about the individuals. We care about what we care about is what was called in last week's parasha, Vayiv and Lobayit. Yaakov is making a household. The only one of the Avot who has Beit Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael. The, the, the phrase B'nai, there's no such thing as B'nai Yitzchak, B'nai Ava. But B'nai Yisrael will appear eventually in Vayigash, in two weeks. Describing the children, not describing what we call B'nai Yisrael, the people. But at some point, there are only 12 of them now. They're going to be getting, they're going to be called B'nai Yisrael, and I think a deliberate, it's not, it's not just a, 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 a homonym. There are two meanings to the word B'nai Yisrael. The children of Yaakov, who's called Yisrael, and the nation of Israel. It's deliberate. The concept which will appear all the time in Sefer Shemot, B'nai Yisrael, they who were living in Egypt and left Egypt, is already found in Vayigash when when they start to be, when they begin to be unified. So, there are two different ways of looking at it. If you look at the individuals, it's an interesting story. It's a sad story. One which will eventually be fixed up. I don't think it's a devastating story. I have more difficulties with the, with kind Hevel than I have with the children of Yaakov. But the real point of the story, the tragedy and its solution is... Will Amisol be founded? Because what takes place in our Pasha, the brothers turning on Yosef, had that persisted, had that not been fixed, that would mean that Amisol does not exist, that B'nai Yisrael do not exist, that Yaakov doesn't have a bite. It's essential in the history of Amisol that we no longer have one out of two. Yitzchak and not Yishmael, Yaakov, Esav. 
You can't have 11 and not 12. If it's 11 and not 12, then there are 11 individuals and you have to wait another generation or two or three or ten. But the history of the Jewish people begin now because the problem to solve in Vayeshev will be solved in Vayigash and Vayechi. And this is emphasized by the Torah in many, in many ways. It was already emphasized in last week's Bible. Uh, Chazal comment on the Pasuk, Vayu B'nei Yaakov, after the story of the sin of Reuven, to tell us that the Torah is making a point that Reuven is not rejected. He committed a sin. The sin will be censured quite severely by Yaakov, in Pashat Vayechi, when he says to Reuven, Pachas Kamayim Al-Totah, Basically, he fires him as the Bechor. He will be sure, but not rejected. The Pesach says right away, and the children of Yaakov were 12. Yaakov has 12 children. They're all counted. They're all together. Looking a little bit ahead in Vayigash, the, the Pshat, I mean, I think we all know this, the turning point in Vayigash, the end of Miketz, and Vayigash is when the brothers express and accept the obligation to take care of each other. When Binyamin is in danger and all the brothers come back and they don't abandon him even though that was what was on the table. One of them should be sold as a slave or killed. One of them should be sold as a slave and the others would be free and they say, no way, we're all going back. And finally Yehuda, who that's what he does in the beginning of Ayigash, when he puts himself on the line in order to save Binyamin. Accepting responsibility to care for each other, which is really not the same as do you like each other. The brothers didn't like Yosef for good reason, to some extent. But did they care for Yosef? Did they have responsibility? Was he their brother? It doesn't make a difference whether you like your brother or not. But are you one? I may not like the shape of my finger, but it's my finger. That's the transformation which takes place from Vayeshev where they throw him into the bar and the end of the Pasha. And that's what allows the story to go on. That's what creates the Beit Yaakov. As Chazal say in Vayechi, when Yaakov is dying and calls them to, for the Bacha, and he opens up the, uh, he opens up the Bacha that he's giving with the words, and Chazal comment that he looked around and he saw that he had a unified family. He clustered around me all the Bnei Yaakov, Yosef, of course, is included there. All 12 of them are included. And listen to Israel, Israel, your father. That's the, that's the success of Yaakov. And I think that's what we should understand the beginning of the Pasha. Because Yaakov, the Shabbat Bishalva, Yaakov thought he had achieved that already. He had produced 12 children and brought them back to Eretz Yisrael. They were, 11 of them were born in Chutzlat. He had his four wives and his 12 children and all the tribulations of the time he had spent in exile, but now he was back. Now the family would just grow up. If you want a, a, a lesson on the personal level, then it's over there. Bearing children is one thing, but they, just, they don't grow up on their own. 
You have to invest a lot in making them into a family. The biology isn't enough. But having children isn't the same as creating Beit Yaakov. Beit Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael. That was the mistake that Yaakov made and therefore we'll see right away that they're not a family. They're willing to reject in, in at least as dramatic a manner as Esav was rejected and Yishmael was rejected Yosef is about to be rejected. And rejection, in this case, will destroy the basis for Amisa. The story cannot, cannot continue. The plan is that Yaakov is the last of the Avot and his children and descendants are Knesset Yisrael or Amisrael or Bnei Yisrael. We see this in a very beginning manner in the difference between Reuven uh, and Yehuda when dealing with the plan to, uh, to, destroy, to destroy Yosef. We all know that in the end, Yehuda will be, will be the leader. He will be he who succeeds saving Binyamin in Pashat Biyigash. And here in the beginning, you, you have... Two different people, Uvein and Yehuda, interfering in the plan to kill, uh, to kill Yosef. What does it say? The brothers, all the brothers, doesn't distinguish. The brothers say, let's kill him. And they're coming. Let's kill him. Reuven hears this talk. And he saves them. Let us not kill him. Let us throw him into the bar, but not kill him. To which the Pasuk adds, end quote, Pasuk adds, and in a Torah comment, Laman. He did what he did. He interfered in the process. He said, let us not kill him because he wished to save Yosef from their hands in order to return him to his father. Now, when Yosef gets there, they throw him into the, into the pit. And then Yudah interferes. What will we gain by killing our brother and covering his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelim, but not kill him. For he is our brother, our flesh. And the brother is here. It's not exactly a, a revolution. They still sell him. But they don't kill him. Why? Because Yudah said, Achinu v'sareinu. Reuven cared about his father. He said, let's not kill him. I'm going to return him to his father. The, the crux of Reuven's interference, the crux of Reuven's decision, is concern for his father. Because the father loves Yosef. Reuven doesn't care a bit about Yosef. 
But he says, we, kill, we have to bring Yosef back to his father. There has to be a wound in the father. And in fact, when Reuven finds out that they've sold him, if you took him later, the yeled. He doesn't say, where's our brother? He says, where's the kid? Where's the little one? I think that means, where's the little one of Yaakov? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? He's Reuven. He has an obligation, apparently, as the oldest brother, to give an accounting to father. How am I going to explain to my father where the child is? He's worried about Yaakov. And he says that again explicitly in the next Pasha. When? In Miketz. When the brothers have to go back to Yosef the second time. And Yosef is demanding they bring uh, they bring um, Binyamin. And uh, before that, when the brothers have... Uh, have met Yosef the first time, and Yosef, you know, treats them negatively. He takes away uh, Shimon until they bring uh, Yosef. So the brothers have an awakening. And what do they say? Just have to turn the pages one second. Yosef says to them, You have to bring me. Binyamin or else you're in big trouble. The brothers said to each other, Aval Ashaimim Anachnu, we are guilty. I mean Parshat Bikates, Bet, We are guilty. Al Achinu for our brother. Asherainu Tsarat Nafshobit Khano Ilainu Veloshamanu, because we saw the affliction of his soul when he cried out unto us and we did not hear. Okay, by Leno at Sarazot. Now we're being punished. Now, let's remember what happened. They threw him into the pit. That's how he got into the problem he was in. Now they're saying, wow, we're guilty. Not because we threw him into the pit. We're guilty because after we threw him into the pit, we, we saw his affliction and we heard his cries and we didn't pay attention. Below Shamanu, we didn't hear. It means we didn't listen. We didn't... We didn't absorb his cries. That's why we're being punished now. They didn't say we're guilty for being mean to our brother. They're saying we're guilty because we didn't hear his cry. Obviously they're guilty for having tried to kill him. But they realize now, they're saying, we didn't pay attention to the brotherhood of our brother. And that should have been aroused when he cried out. Because when your brother cries, even if you, even you think you're right, even if you hate him, even if you think it's right to hate him, but when your brother cries, you hear it because you're obligated to him, because you have responsibility, because he's your brother, he's your flesh, your brother, as Yudha said in our, in our Pasha. And therefore, from that point of view, not from the individual crime point of view, which is, it's worse to throw somebody into the pit than, than to not pay attention to his cries, but from the unity of the family from the brotherly love which has to create this unit called Bnei Yaakov it's much worse not that they hit each other brothers fight but that he could cry and you be indifferent and then Reuven says he's still Reuven 
Don't sin with the kid. They're talking about Achino. We didn't hear. We're guilty for our brothers that we did not see or hear his affliction and his cries. And Ruven says, I told you not to sin against the kid, against the little one. In other words, Yaakov's, Yaakov's son. That's the difference. And that's why Yehuda will be the ultimate savior and not Ruven. Because Ruven, at least at this point, and then I think all the brothers achieve it, but at this point, Ruven is being the tzaddik of the story, but because he's worried about causing pain to his father. And Yehuda is already, not sufficiently, but he's beginning to say there are limits to what we can allow ourselves to do to our brother. And eventually, all the brothers say, how is it that we heard him cry and we weren't moved? The cry of your brother is you. It's, it's, your, it's, your, it's yourself crying. And how is it we didn't do that? That's, that, that, is our, that is our guilt. The story begins with the dreams of Yosef. And the Ramban claims, with a great deal of, 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 I think, conviction and persuasion, and even though there's an argument with the Ramban, but, but even though there's an argument, we have to, have to agree that it's one of the important themes. Yosef dreams of being the center of attention his brothers bow down to him, and the brothers eventually bow down to him. It says so. When the brothers meet Yosef, they bow down. And so the dreams are fulfilled. Whether or not that's what Yosef was trying to do or not trying to do is disagreement among the different uh, commentators in Pashat next week's Pasha, in Pashat Miketz uh, and Vayigash. But everyone agrees the dream was true. It was a God-given dream. Yosef is bala chalomot. His dreams are good. And that raises the question of that sibling rivalry is also rivalry over position and power. Who will be the leader of Amisa? So now we know the, end, the answer in the end is not Yosef. You don't have to wait to Jewish history. It's in Vayechi. Yaakov says to Yudah, Atayodu chachecha. You are the leader. You are the king. Adki Yaboshila. An explicit comment. We're talking not about the personal Yehuda and the brothers, but about this tribe of Yehuda. The Vachah is always for the future. Achvita Yamim, it says. The end of days. And Adki Yaboshila. You are the king of Amiso. So Yosef is not actually... He's a, he has a certain position. But isn't sibling rivalry... And the rivalry between Yosef and his brothers about, about that question, the answer is for sure yes. But there's an important difference between what perhaps Yosef thought or what the brothers thought or what might have been explicit in Yosef's dreams as he understood them then and what takes place eventually. Yosef dreams that the brothers bow down to him, the stars, the sun and the moon, and then the sheaves that the brothers are holding bow down to him. In both cases, it's important to notice that he doesn't dream the brothers bow down to him. Something representing them bow down to him. But when Yaakov gets angry at Yosef for telling over the dreams, he says, Yosef told the dream. 
second dream to his brothers about the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars. Aviv, his father was angry, incensed. He said to him, What kind of a dream is this? Shall I and your mother and your brothers come Shall we come to bow down to you to the ground? Now nowhere in the dream did it say they bowed down to the ground. Just that they bowed. In both dreams. The first one it says, Your sheaves of, of, of wheat bow down to my sheaves. The second one it says, the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to me. Yaakov, when summarizing the dream, you really think we're going to bow down to the earth, down to the ground? Later on, when the brothers meet Yosef, it says they bowed. It doesn't say they bowed down to the, to the earth. Maybe it's the same thing. I think not. Bowing down to the earth means we are nothing. There is a theory of kingship, of dictatorship, of aristocracy, of totalitarianism that says that everybody is nobody. Only the king counts. You, are, you bow down to the earth because you are earth. Afar va'efer. Dust and ashes. When one bows down before God, when Avam says to God, I'm a father, he's saying, I'm nothing. That's introduction to the same, but I want to argue with you anyhow. That theory would be the destruction of Amisal. Amisal is a confederation of 12 tribes, it's a family. We don't need one son, we need all 12. We had one son. Yitzhak was one son. Yaakov was one son. Now we're all the sons. Nobody can be nothing. And that Yaakov says in true shock, that's impossible. If the dream is fulfilled, it's, it's not Arza. It's through different roles. Someone's going to be the leader. And to bow down without reaching the land says, we respect you. We will follow you. Said by Yehuda, you will be the leader, we will be the followers. It, it indicates an unequal relationship, but a complicated one. Maybe for one Indian, maybe for one area, not another area. Yosef was a kind of a bachor. Reuben was a kind of a bachor. Yehuda was a kind of a bachor. Each brother got a different blessing from Yaakov in the end. Each one was good at something. That's the whole point of the twelve blessings that Yaakov gives in the end of this of the sefer of the sefer Bereshit. It's not negation but confederation. Within the confederation, it could be that you bow down to Yosef. And that will take place at a certain point. In Egypt, Yosef will be the mashbir. He will be he who provides for the others. He's the leader because of the conditions of Egypt. Later on, he won't be. Someone else will be. If it was negation, then it would be, it would be, it would be immutable. Because if you're nothing, you're not going to come back. So the story is not, does not say that, it always says two things. One, you have to love each other. You have to take care of each other. You're, 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 you have a mutual responsibility and that's your job. All 12 brothers will go down to Egypt together. All, all 11 brothers will go back to rescue, uh, to rescue Binyamin and ultimately to reunite with, uh, to, to reunite with Yosef. And then they'll bring the father too. 
Tehei mitato shlema. Yaakov's bed will be perfect, will be complete. That's one story. There is a sub-theme here. What are the relationships between the brothers? So the ultimate answer is, read the 12 brachot. It tells you 12 different things. If you ask about leadership, which concerns people, then yes, Yosef was right. He was shown a certain kind of leadership, but you have to understand it correctly. It will take place. It's a temporary thing. It's not permanent. And mostly, most important of all, it's not a value judgment. It's not that you exist and they don't. You are the answer, and they're just dust. If that's what Yosef thought, and I don't know if that's what he thought, but if that's what he thought, as Yaakov suspected, then that will not take place. And that perhaps is the reason why the brothers were so upset. Because Yosef didn't seem to be giving them a dream of family unity, but of something else entirely, and that they had to, they had to reject. And slowly but surely, over the following parashiyot, we're going to come to the proper realization that there are no individuals, but that they're all together. Yehuda, in this week's parasha, after selling off Yosef, Yehuda separates himself. And the story of Yehuda and Tamar is also Yehuda by himself. There are no brothers there. They don't exist. They don't help him. Because he left. That has to be fixed. Yosef in Egypt is totally alone. Potiphar's wife. At best, he has a dream, as she says. He saw the figure of his father in a dream at the crucial moment. But he's totally alone in that jail. The beginning of the story is of people who are by themselves, separated, and eventually separated completely, alone. A little bit of Yehuda, who then comes back, of course, dramatically. And you're safe against his will. And the end of the story will be when here you all have to be together and that's when we can then go on to the story of Am Yisrael Shmot Vayikra Amid Badvarim and the rest of Jewish history Kol Tuba Shabbat Shalom